Hey, this is Kevin Kaufman of the Kevin and Fred Show, a podcast about real estate. And you are listening to Dish and Dirt with Gary Pickering, South Carolina's only podcast dedicated to the real estate agent's crafts. And greetings and welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Dish and Dirt. I'm your often opinionated but rarely wrong host, Gary Pickering, coming to you from Blair Cato, Pickering, Castelline, and hot, actually, I should say, very humid Columbia, South Carolina. This is the first week of June 2022. So the kids are out of school. Real estate is now popping. This is your busy time of the year for you to make your money in June, July, and August. And as such, I recognize that because you're so busy doing hopefully lots of showings and doing lots of closings with Blair Cato, that you're extremely busy. So I just really wanted to reiterate how much I appreciate you taking 30 minutes out of your week each week to listen to Dish and Dirt. It really does mean a lot to us here at Blair Cato. So today's episode is a really super good one. And the reason it is is because of the guests. And that's really the reason it's so good each week is we have top-notch guests. And this week we have Kevin Kaufman of the Kevin and Fred Show podcast. Kevin is a mega agent in this country. He has a team that spans into multiple states out west. He's a big deal. Uh, his podcast is consistently ranked one of the top podcasts in the entire country when it comes to real estate. And I think after you hear his insight today, I think you'll see why he's one of the top real estate agents, why he gets to speak at Inman Select, why he is very well sought after as not only a speaker, but as a coach, as a trainer. And I think you'll also understand uh, why his podcast is, in fact, one of the top podcasts in the entire country, because he's got lots and lots of great information in his podcast. Now, Kevin is going to t- be talking to us today about the business side of being a real estate agent. And Kevin's not only going to do that this week, he's also going to come back again and do it next week. So I know we're going to cover a lot of topics. We've got a vast array of topics about the business aspect of being a real estate agent. And we're going to kind of bounce all over the place and be back where we started from and circle back around. And you're going to get to see a lot of good things about the practice of real estate. And these are going to be real things that I think you're going to be able to learn from and implement in your practice. So there's going to be a lot of value in this podcast this week. So before we get started, I've been asking you over the last couple of weeks to please give this show, Dish and Dirt, five stars. Because these silly little stars, believe it or not, they have such a huge to-do with getting guests on our show. Guests will reach out to Dish and Dirt asking to be on it based on the number of stars that we have. And I know that seems silly, but that's apparently how the system works. So Carol reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and asked me, well, you asked for five stars. How do I give you five stars? And the funny thing is, I didn't know. So I had to do a little bit of research into that. And what I have found out, at least with Apple Podcasts, is if you go to the main page for Dish and Dirt, meaning that you search podcasts and you search Dish and Dirt, and before you actually select one of the podcast episodes, at the bottom there should be five blank stars. You click on the five stars because, frankly, why would you give the show anything but five stars, right? You know, So you give us five stars, and then you can write a little message about how Dish and Dirt has changed your life or something thereof. And once you do that, you hit submit, and then we get those five stars. makes my ego feel better. And it also helps bringing in some more guests. So we really appreciate if you would do that for us, because, again, we want to continue to bring you great guests like Kevin Kaufman. Lastly, before we start, don't forget to send your closings to Blair Cato. We just opened our first Spartanburg office. We're really excited about that. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, we brought in Noonan Hammett into the Blair Cato family. So now we have that Spartanburg office. The Greenville office is basically doubled in size. And then we also continue to have our Columbia and our Lexington office. So that gives us four offices in the Midlands and the upstate to take care of all of your clients' needs. Who knows? We may add a fifth one day soon. Just always stay in touch and you can see how Blair Cato continues to grow. So let's go ahead and get started with our show today with Kevin Kaufman. 
So today's guest is Kevin Kaufman. He is one of the most known names in all of real estate. Kevin is the co-founder of one of the largest real estate groups on Facebook called Next Level Agents. I know a lot of you know about it. He's also the co-founder of Group 4610, his real estate team that is powered by eXp Realty. Now, his team is in five markets, including Phoenix, Denver, Nashville, Dallas, and the central coast of California, which is between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Wall Street Journal has his team ranked in the top 250 in America for more than the past seven years. Kevin is a national speaker at events such as Emmons Select. He's a teacher and he's also a coach. And most importantly to me, Kevin is also one half of the podcast in the country called The Kevin and Fred Show. I want to thank my friend Garrett Maroon in Virginia Beach for putting us together. And so I want to give you a very warm Southern styled welcome to my good friend, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? That was uh, quite the quite the uh, introduction. I appreciate it. I'm already out of breath. I think that we have to stop the show and give me five minutes to recover from that long introduction. So but, my, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut out half of that intro or uh, that that bio. Geez, uh, that was that was a lot. But thanks a lot, man. I'm happy to be here. Well, I've heard you say you're also very humble, which is funny because I always bring my my podcast always begin with. All very irreverent, but uh, and very rarely wrong host Gary Pickren. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm the kind of the exact opposite of the humbleness in this uh, podcast today. Um, but I have to ask you before we start, you're in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Yes, so, I sure am. You know, we're, here we are in early March. Our weather's kind of warm one day and crappy the next day. So you got to tell us how beautiful is it today in Phoenix? Uh, are you sure you're in for that type of torture right yeah, now? I need, it's, the pain. It's... I need to hear 75 and sunny. It's, so it's not quite 75. It's about 65 and sunny though. Uh, oh. I think we're, I think we're supposed to hit 80 next week. Wow. So no not too bad. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect weather. This is the time of the year to be in Phoenix as a spring, no doubt about it. So today we're going to talk about the future of real estate agents and real estate. But first I want to talk to you, Kevin, about you. And I know you don't like to talk about you, <laughs> but I think your story is extremely interesting. And I think your story has a lot of lessons to be learned in it along the way. So why don't you start by kind of giving us your story of how you got started in real estate and particularly what is this group 4610 and what's it all about and how did that come about? Yeah. You know, so um, ironically, I, so I got licensed in the middle of 07. It was about uh, end of May or beginning of June. Perfect time. 07. Yeah, exactly. Right. And in fact, that that's what the that's what the thing was. I, I, I quite literally had friends try to tell me not not to get licensed that I had missed it the opportunity and, and, and so on and so forth. And if it tells you anything about me, I'm the exact opposite, you know, I'm the exact type of guy. If you tell me not to do something, you can bet I'm going to do it. Right. Uh, so it sort of just, you know, fueled my fire even more. So middle of 07, I get licensed. My, my third transaction ever, uh, was a short sale and it was now with my now business partner, Fred, uh, although he was just a friend at the time who I was trying to help out with uh with some listings he had taken and he told me what this thing called the short sale was and i uh for whatever reason agreed to agreed to do it and so we got that kind of started our working relationship we went from friends and kind of started helping each other and about six months later we actually started i guess a little bit more than that it was february of 08 we decided to officially start working together and um in that, what we found is we start because we were both willing to do short sales at a time where almost nobody was Right. Um, in, in Phoenix, you know, the only listings we had were short sales and, and, and bank owned, you know, REOs and everybody wanted the bank owns, nobody wanted the short sales and we were willing to do it. And, uh, so what we found is our, our business actually ended up growing very rapidly. You know, it was a huge advantage to us and I'm kind of weaving this into to question number two here. 
which is we we quite literally grew overnight. Um, and I remember it was probably sometime March or so of 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 two thousand and eight. I looked over at my business partner Fred and I said, "Listen, we're we're out of for sale signs. There's there's no more of mine. There's no more of yours. I don't want my name on it. You want your name on it?" And he said, "No." And so we said, "I, I literally, I kind of." kind of smugly said, well, we should probably come up with a team name then because I don't want my name and phone number on the, on the for sale signs. Right. And uh, so, you know, so tying this back into f- group 4610, we have a buddy who is a good friend of ours. He was also, he was also a Spanish pastor at the time and had read the book by Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of those habits being begin with the end in mind or think with the end in mind. And his name is Mark. Mark had kind of used that that um that habit in a training and had tied that back to uh, Isaiah 4610. And that whole begin with the end in mind or think with the end in mind really stuck out to us, especially in short sales. You know, we were what we realized very quickly is the questions we asked and the way we kind of interacted with our client, with the potential buyer and so forth, all the way through, you know, would affect the outcome of the short short sale that might not be for another six, eight, nine, 12, 12 plus months later, right? So for us, begin with the end in mind was just, uh, it's just was something that stuck out to us. And we thought the begin with the end in mind team sounded dumb and a little wordy. So we went with group 4610. And so you became quickly the go-to person in Arizona, from what I understand, with short sales. And then you began teaching others about it. Yeah, we, you know, we very quickly realized, uh, I started, I went to it. I went to a class on short sales and uh, it was terrible. And I'm, I'm and literally Gary, I'm not exaggerating here. The there, I go into this classroom in my Keller Williams office and there's, I don't know, there's probably 70 people in a room that fits 60 comfortably and maybe 50 comfortably. And the it's packed. It's, you know, it's February or something of, of 08. And the, the very first thing that the instructor says is don't do short sales. They're bad for your business. This is that a short sale class, mind you, <laughs> in Phoenix, Arizona, in in February of two thousand? Which was the capital March. of short sales. Yeah, and and so I was like, "This is stupid." And so I remember after that class, number one, I was that guy that raised his hand, you know, fifty times because I'd been negotiating short sales already, had a lot of different experiences of what was actually happening, and so I just effectively raised my hand every time he said something that was incorrect, and it was just as painful for him, I'm sure, as it was for <laughs> me, and uh, and so. We decided let's let's go teach everyone. The combination of that and as I was as we were getting this first batch of short sales approved, I kept hearing from other agents on the other side of the transaction, like, "Wow, I can't believe it! I've written on so many short sales. You're the first person to get them approved. How did you do it?" So we thought, "Why not? Why not just teach class?" And so we started teaching classes on it, and uh, somewhere in March of '08, and that in turn actually ended up growing, helping was the thing that like really grew our business. Would your success also be credited to the fact you created a process that worked and then you stuck with that process and mastered a process? Yeah, there's no, no doubt about it. There was the, um, yeah, there, there's, there, there's no doubt about it. That's absolutely something that, that played in big time into our, us being able to succeed in that time. And I assume even today that you don't do short sales in this market, you still have processes that are oh, tried yeah. and true that work. And I think that's something a lot of agents need to understand is it's fine to grow a business organically to a point, but at some point you've got to develop processes. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, then you're always the person, you know, left doing the job, first of all. 
And, and second of all, then it's also at a whim. And if you forget to do something a certain way one time or another, and it, again, kind of going back to, again, that team name or that lesson of begin with the end in mind. I mean, we asked very specific questions on what we would call our intake form or our disqualification form of our clients. So that way we knew how to set things up and position it with the banks. And when we knew we were gonna have to get in there and fight. So absolutely. I mean, you've got to have a Got to have a, a process and a system for for pretty much everything. So you cut your teeth in short sales, and at some point after two two thousand seven, eight, nine, the market starts shifting on you in Phoenix or in Arizona. Yep. Period. And how important was for was it for you to pivot your business model? And what did you learn about yourself and that business during your pivot? Yeah. So so we actually really had to make the pivot at the end of two thousand twelve, the beginning of two thousand thirteen. So I will say we still had a lot of short sales when most people didn't, and they were already able to kind of go back to the traditional business. Um, combination of that and having gotten distracted, uh, it took a short stint as a regional director for for Keller Williams region uh, for a period of time there in 2012, and um, you know realized I couldn't do that. I'm un- I'm unemployable, and so is my business partner Fred and. Um, a whole lot of things all happening at once, right? The market is totally shifting. And I mean, it was hard. Like I joke, but it, I'm also serious about it. I, you know, we'd sold a thousand houses or so uh, by that time. And I, 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 you know, I say all the time that basically 2013 was the year I learned how to actually be a realtor uh, because I had to learn how to take short sale. Or I had to learn how to take uh, traditional listings. I was used to taking listings literally at my desk. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go to anybody's house. Um, I would let them come to the office if they wanted to meet me and bring bring their paperwork in. But I mean, I literally took listings over the phone and um, and that was it. And I, you know, hundreds, if not, you know, close to a thousand listings that way. So it was quite, uh, quite a shock and a change. And it was going through it. It was hard. It was not easy. It was a, it was a giant kick to the teeth. It felt like almost daily for a while. Uh, and it made us better at, at at running our business, no doubt about it. You almost were starting over like a brand new real estate agent. Yeah, we, yeah, we were. Uh, no, there's no doubt about it. We were. So 2000, I remember 2013 was the first time that we had ever sold fewer houses than the year before, um, which was which was interesting. Um, there was. It's funny, you know. There's benefits to it too. We made more money that year because we were back in the business full time and. I uh, didn't have as as many other people being part of the production. So, you know, there, there's all that that goes with it, but it was also hard and we hated it. Um, there was this time, there was this part where we had to kind of learn it. And it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about systems and processes, right? We had to learn to be a realtor, to learn how to take traditional listings. And then once we sort of figured that out and kind of decided on where what we wanted our model to look like, then it was about building systems and processes based off of that to then take our business back to where something was closer to, to that we wanted. So you said your volume dropped, but your take-home income goes up. Do yeah. you see that as an issue for real estate agents that agents get locked into the wrong matrix of volume of units sold and Everywhere. dollars sold? Everywhere. Yeah, I see that. And um, you know, to in my opinion, that's part of the that's part of the rat race, if you will, or the hamster wheel, if you will, of real estate brokerages is we that it, look like that, that's what we give out awards for we as an industry that's what we're awarding the things that keep us as agents distracted 
because we get to see our name in lights. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's, that's a, that's a core issue of mine that I, that I have, um, that I, you know, at the end of the day, it's what goes in your bank account. Uh, and I know that I, I do know people like their real goal is, is the, is, is tied to those ego numbers of like, I sold X number of houses or whatever. And I've, I've certainly been there before myself. Um, and I also know it's not the thing that you deposit. Right. When I try to teach agents about business planning and we're a law firm and we try to assist agents on business planning, because I think that's something we do fairly well here. I tell agents to tell me how much money do you want to make this quarter, the next quarter, and then for the year. And then back into that, how many units you have to sell at what price to make that number? Because if you want to make $100,000 next year, do I want to have to sell 100, 100 houses at $1,000 commission each? Or would I rather sell 10 and make $10,000 each and make my 100 grand? It seems to me I'd rather do 10 than 100. Yeah. And, and you know, that's just the thing is um, most people aren't, I, I, I've always find most people don't tend to be connected even, even now that, you know, I talk to agents about, you know, what's your goal. And usually the first thing that comes out is, is X number of houses, right? And I, I get it. We're like, I just got to say, it's kind of how we're raised in this industry. And um, let's figure out what the real goal, what's the goal behind that? Why, why is that important? And then let's work towards it. Cause you know, to your point, number one, there's multiple ways to get there. And if, and if sell it, maybe, you know, like, here in well, you know, from the from the short from the uh, foreclosure days too. Like at the end of the day, I'd I'd rather sell ten houses than a hundred too. But if you've got a contract that's going to give you a hundred listings, well, that, I mean that's another way of getting there, and there's nothing sure. wrong with that when you're when you kind of go in eyes wide open. Very true. You've talked before about the other side of the equation, which is expenses, and that's another thing that agents sometimes just overlook is that if I want to raise my income, I can either raise the amount of money coming in, but I also can cut the amount of expenses. We also have to be careful that we're not cutting expenses that actually make us money. So how important yep. is a financial review to your team and how often do you do it? Well, I'll tell you, uh, we literally do it weekly. Um, and this happened, this all kind of all stemmed from a, an email I got from Gary Keller in, I think it was 2014 or 15 me and about, I don't know, 25 or so other agents got an email from him. And one of those, one of the, it was like, had like 10 pieces of advice or something. And one of it was like, watch your expenses, try to cut them by 10% every month, you know, kind of make a game out of it. And so what we took from that is like, okay, we're going to watch our expenses. And so that started a habit of us reviewing every penny we spend every single week. Um, and that way, I mean, when you do it every week, you, you catch the abnormal things and you start to go, wait, why am I spending that money again? Why, why did I pay that company this much? Or why did I pay them X, X amount? Um, and you, you kind of have to get real with it. And in a market like we're in today where property selling hours, it's very easy to get very fat on expenses because, eh, you know, whatever. It's thought, you know, and it's also easy to just, just assume that I do X, Y, Z, and that's what brings me success. And a lot of times it's like, yeah, well, that might be what you're spending the money on, but is that really what's driving your results? And so often what is driving results versus what is perceived as driving results are very different. And so, yeah, I know that if you're, if you're watching your finances, you're likely also watching other key metrics in your business to be able to know things like that. Circles all back around to what we started with from the very beginning is having processes and processes aren't just how I take a listing in, but it's, how I make my money, how what the processes are for expenses, what's my ROI. And I talk about ROI all the time. 
is it worth your money to spend on this when you're getting one closing? If you could spend money on this and pick up 20 or 30 closings. And I don't think in this industry from the legal aspect or even from the real estate agent aspect that we really track where the business comes from and where the ROI is on each one of these streams of business. Yeah, I totally agree. So let's talk about the future now of real estate. I've heard you speak on this before, talking about the United States and Canada. What do you think the future of real estate is going to look like in the next, say, 20 years or so? And uh, first of all, that's a, that's a long ways out. Um, I'll preface it with saying, I, yeah, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't really know. But my, my guess, my guess is it's going to look different than what it looks today. Um, if anything, I think there'll be fewer real estate agents. I, I don't know too many people that don't agree with that. Um, I think that the way we're compensated is likely going to be different or should be different. I believe that um, the services that we bring as real estate professionals will have to be different if we want to be one of the agents still in business. Um, and, you know, I almost think of it more of like an attorney actually is like, Hey, here's, here's what I do. Here are the different services that I have. And here's, here's kind of, here's kind of what, what each of those things cost, if you will. And, and we become more of truly an advisor versus like a fiduciary as we, as we are today. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is because of the, the fact that, you know, you mentioned, we mentioned, I don't know if you said it while we we're recording or before, but I buyers and the, the different companies like the open doors and the offer pads, and we can dig into these later, but like, if nothing else, what we've learned from these companies is, is that the consumers want something that we as agents traditionally haven't been providing. And so we've, it's an invitation for us to, to be better for the consumers. I think you hit on a couple of things I want to get into. And one's commissions, you know, we're sitting here looking at lawsuit that has been filed for many years. They've been arguing this against the national association of realtors and many of the top brokerages. And I believe it was filed in the district court in in, uh, Chicago. And one of the allegations in there is that there's some type of price fixing that's 6% across the board is what everybody charges. Now, we know that's not true, that that's not a standard um, real estate commission. But based on these lawsuits, and you just said, you think the commission structure will be different. Do you think it'll go away from percentages and go more into an a la carte? You know, I I could see that it could, or at least partially. I, I don't know for sure that it would go away from percentages, but I could, I could see a scenario where it's a lot more a la carte kind of fee-based versus percentage based, especially if, um, as you said, that, that lawsuit has been, you know, that's been carrying on for some time and there's probably no real close end in sight, but I think the outcome of that lawsuit, whenever it does show up is likely to have some sort of impact to the way, uh, commissions and fees are charged. Yeah. For me, I think I could see a day where the real estate payment becomes more of an a la carte where, and I understand that's kind of where that lawsuit wants to push things, which is, here are all the services I provide as an agent, select which ones you like, let's add it up. And then if that's greater than a percentage, we can just move you to a full service percentage. Um, I think that might be a service, but also a disservice to the consumer because I don't think a consumer understands what they really want. Yeah, I was going to say that. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned it, Gary. Is, um, I think on the surface, it's easy to look at that and go, oh yeah, we want more transparency and uh, don't want to have, don't want to sellers shouldn't really have to pay the buyer's agent and so on. But what, what people don't realize so often is 
as uh, as you know, when the government gets involved and what mm. looks like a good idea really ends up creating more problems for the public. And I think that would actually be one of those scenarios. And, I, and I'm not a guy that's afraid to to change things. In fact, I'm totally okay if those things get challenged because it's at the end of the day, it's about the value you bring to the consumer. However, I do believe ultimately that would be a disservice to the consumer because of the the trickle down effect, if you will, of what that would bring to the rest of the industry. And I don't know how they expect a buyer to pay the buyer's commission, how that works in reality, because if the buyer's having to pay the buyer's agent five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars on top of the down payment, where does that money come from? They can't get it in a loan because the loan is going to be based solely on the value in that house they're buying. So there's not going to be any money for them to pay that commission. I think it's going to hurt low income, low to moderate income home buyers. It knocks them out of the ability to buy a house. Which is already hard enough. You know, I know here in our market and so many others, you know, that's the, actually, I mean, that's the, that's the market that you, it's already so hard to buy because there's 25, 30 different hedge funds out here that are buying up hundreds of properties a month. Um, And then, and these homes will, by the way, they'll never be back on the market again. And so, uh, yeah, when you combine those two things, it it, it would that would cripple mm-hmm. the ability of the first time home buyer to 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 be able to actually become a first time home buyer. And the home and the hedge funds are buying the houses in that middle class sweet spot yeah. in every community, and I think it makes it more difficult for the middle class to move ahead in the housing. Yeah, people don't understand how these effectively REITs, right? They single family residentials have become an asset class all on their own, where it used to be when on wall street you thought of like um an investment as you know like that that's that's who who owns the strip mall and all the other commercial properties and and now it's yeah well they own that but they also own all of the single family residentials as well and there's you know tens of thousands more than that really now that are owned around the country by just a handful of companies and i don't think people realize the the harm that that can do, or I don't want to say harm. I'm not sure that's the right word, but I don't think people know, understand the effect of what is likely to come five and 10 years down the road Mm -hmm. from having all those homes, not on the market and not able to turn over from one first time home buyer to the next, because I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the realtor that walks around saying, Oh, you know, the average homeowners, you know, wealth is, is this much percentage higher than everyone. Like, I'm not that guy. I actually don't believe that everybody should own a real estate, you know, should own real estate. I, I really don't. Um, I love owning real estate. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. And I'm not the guy that says everyone has to do it. But what I will say is when you look at the money that most people have to be able to go from that, I'll call it starter home to maybe that home, like my family, I'll just tell you as an example, I've got two kids, my, my mom lives with us. We just bought uh, uh, definitely, you know, what would be considered a move up house in the last year and a half. And, you know, for, for most families, if they don't have the first house that they have a profit from, or at least like the down payment back and all the money they've been paying towards to pay the mortgage off to put a big chunk towards the new home, like it's hard to make that next step. And I think that's the, that's the case for most people in the United States. So that's all the time we have for our show today. Kevin will be back again next week to finish part two of the business side of being a real estate agent. Hope you all got a lot of good, valuable information this week, and we'll get even more again next week. If you please like us, share us, subscribe to us, and always come back and visit with Dish and Dirt again next week. Y'all have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.